This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora. welcome to Bookends with Morin Rath and Ruth Todd. And uh, I have a, another crime novel. Uh, you love your crime <laughs> novels, Ruth. I do, and set in 2026. And it's just um, a little way ahead. And she, uh, Tina Clough has written quite a few very successful crime novels, and this is one of them. Well, um, my book is completely different, of course. (laughs) It's a book about assist dogs and their people um, by local writer Sue Ellison. Friends Indeed is an absorbing and fascinating book about assist dogs and their people. It's been written by Sue Allison, a local journalist and writer, who I've talked to before about gardens, but not about assist dogs. (laughs) Sue, where did this book come from? Well, as well as loving gardens, I love animals. And um, New Holland actually approached me to see if I had any ideas about a book. And I'd to be honest, it wasn't just dogs to begin with. I had this idea of writing just very readable, accessible stories about how animals had helped people. I was thinking horses, cats, dogs, the whole kabang. And then it got, the scope was so large, they suggested I narrow it down to dogs, which I did. And um, and so it began. And, and um, I had no idea myself about the extent of the things a dog would do and and the amount of organisations and the people behind the scenes who work so hard to place these dogs with the right people. Yes, looking at your acknowledgements at the back, I just, I was, you know, intrigued by how many organisations there are. There are so many. And and in the text, I've written it as sort Mm. of 43 individual stories and I didn't didn't want to talk a lot about the organisations because I wanted the stories to be about the bond between the dog and their person, but it was very important to acknowledge them at some point. Yes, well, you have, mm, mm. you know, you have given some of those segments over to the trainers mm, and the mm. and the and the people behind them. That's right, them. the puppy walkers and all the yeah. people. There's so and there's people so many good prisons, people out there. That... Oh, that's one of the best win-win situations yes. you could get. You've got people in prison. It's rehabilitation for them. Um, it's a it's a love they often haven't had and a connection. Um, the dogs they don't judge. They spend up to a year with the prisoners, living with them. They're obviously selected dogs and prisoners and it's their stepping stone for them into the world. And for the dogs and for the organisations, um, which is mobility dogs who use it, they, um, you know, it's cost cutting for them. Um, and it's it's a, it's a, such a good, good... Um, oh, it's a marvellous game. Marvellous game. Yes, I yeah. can see, I can see no reasons for it not to be. Yeah, absolutely. Which feeds into um, how many different types of people can be helped by dogs. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's the thing. I, I didn't, I, I started this and I thought, oh, where do I begin? And I googled things and then people would say, oh, we've got a friends with a child with autism and they've just got a dog and... And on it went. And then I'd never heard there were hearing dogs. I didn't know such a thing existed. And there's a wonderful organisation in New Plymouth. And, and these dogs, literally the ears for their people. And, and I think also that's quite a point. Is, as well as helping these people, they're a big signpost. They're wearing um, official jackets. 
So like the epilepsy assist dogs, um, you know, if someone's having a seizure and the dog is with them, it alerts the public to, you know, this is a medical event. Um, Yes, and that's so important, important. isn't it? Yes, exactly. No, the range of things that these dogs can do Mm. uh, is is extraordinary. I didn't know that there were diabetes dogs. No, I hadn't either. um, (laughs) I mean, there's a story in there about a young girl who um, had such... Um, usually at night she had her diabetic episodes and the parents weren't sleeping. They were worried she'd sink into a coma and die literally in the night. And they got this little spaniel who... They, they train them, I think, with skin swabs, and, and they're so specific. It's a, I'm not a medical, but it's between a certain um, um, levels. The dog is trained to be alerted to just the smell on their skin, and this dog sleeps on the child's bed, and if it sense that, it runs into the parent's room and wakes them. And, and now, now the child is old enough to be woken herself. Another one will even run and get the barley sugars. You know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And the, that little spaniel, um, she goes riding. She yes. goes yes. to she, hunts. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's a, they're, they're fair. That's the other thing. I mean, one, one of my concerns when I started, when I set out to do this, is um, that I would go into situations and, as an animal lover and think, well, I can see this jo- dog's doing a great job, but is it having a great life? Well, these dogs have the best life. I mean, what does a dog want? It wants, obviously, food and safety and shelter, but it wants um, 24-7 company and a job. So so these are the happiest dogs I've encountered and I most loved. Yes, yeah. and most loved, yeah. treasured. Uh, and there is, a, there is a sort of clear demarcation that they're trained to um, respond to of when they're at work yes. and when they can be allowed to When they're to off play. duty. Yes. Often it's like even with the guide dogs, it's the harness on or harness off. And it's, it's really funny. I went and watched it. It was a dog with a little girl with autism and she showed me how it worked. She put the harness on and this dog was goofing around the backyard with their little girl. Put the harness on and it's serious. You know, it's like putting a uniform on. And then she showed me, she took it off and the dog, it looked like a, yeah, what was all that about? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So they can, and they are allowed to be dogs. They're allowed to be dogs. Oh, in another incident, it was an epilepsy assist one too, and there was a noise in the house and the dog sat up and, and the, the mother of the young man, um, who was her son, said, is on alert to, if he's in the shower, if there's a loud hmm. noise, it'll run. You know, they, they're sort of on duty all the time, but... Yes, where mm. people have those kind of medical emergencies mm. Mm. as opposed to a learning or, uh, sorry, a hearing or a that's seeing. That's right. Thing. I mean, someone with, that with must low vision. Be yeah, that's right. Virtually 24 7. They're 24. Yeah. And, and there's no question that the guide dogs are the, um, the they've got to be um, bomb proof. And, mm. and, and that's why they're so expensive to train and so time consuming. And the people behind it are. They're fastidious, and and all these dogs are monitored. If they're if they're in a situation where it's no longer working, they will withdraw the dog in the nicest possible way. They'll rehome it. Sometimes mm. it stays on as a pet, um, but they're very very careful with the, especially with those guide dogs. Now I was surprised at the variety of types of dogs. Um, you know, most of us think of Labrador, Labradors, <laughs> don't we? Yeah. And uh, possibly Alsatians, German mm. Shepherds. But in fact, you know, the terriers, there's this extremely the, elegant. The Borzoi. Borzoi. <laughs> yeah, the, the Russian, Russian dog. Wolfhound. You'd never think of that dog as being no, in that. 
Well, that's right. And I think there is a move. I mean, obviously, one reason they use Labradors and Golden Retrievers is they are without malice. They are the most yes. adorable family yes. dogs. Um, and, and also they're quite greedy, so it's quite easy to food train them, you know, because food is the first training training technique. But I think there is a move, and I, I think Marinette Don, who's got the balls always, and I think also um, the po- guide dogs are using poodles more. I think George has a big white standard poodle. Um, and one of the advantages of them is they don't often don't shed because that can be an issue, especially oh, if you're low-sighted. Yes. You wouldn't want a Jack Russell then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'd be pretty busy. Um, and, and they're smaller to deal with. I mean, a little hearing dog was a little um, Bichon Freeze, I think, and, and it was an elderly woman who had it. She didn't need a great big dog. Yes, there was another one in here. I can't remember which one it was, but um, and it m- might have been the girl with diabetes, but they were talking about getting a small dog because she was small, Yes, and, and they it wanted was, it yes. to be able to sleep sleep with on her. her bed. Yes, yeah. and so, I think there's issues with public access too. And you have to, you know, there's a lot of taxi drivers and people who they have to have a dog hop in their vehicle with the person. And um, portability is an issue. Small, a smaller too. dog can yeah, be helpful. Yeah. But the Labradors and Golden Retrievers are, are used for a reason. They're they're wonderful assist dogs, service dogs. This doesn't come into it, but. You know the the type of funding that you, these people should have oh, to carry out these uh, services. Uh, they must be always having to rely on volunteers. They, they are. You know that's something. You know, shout out to them. I mean, they they work so hard on the smell of an oily rag, and they're so committed. And and funding is a constant problem. Um, I mean, there are some very generous organisations and individuals too, of course, but. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a very they're all very worthy organisations. Yes, yeah. and you know, as I said before, the variety of places. It's not just domestic homes that these dogs can be used in, is it? No, no, no. I yeah, I'd love to see more dogs, and um, I always feel it's very sad with elderly people. You know, at a time when they can give time to a pet and they most need the company, they they often um, aren't allowed them in retirement homes or in people renting, I think, after the earthquakes in Christchurch. It's very mm. hard for people, um, you know. Yes. And that's just, that's just talking about pets. I mean, uh, not all dogs in that book are um, trained assistance dogs. In fact, there's two very relevant to Christchurch who were on death row at the pound. Yes. Slax is now... Uh, um, a therapy dog at Burwood, you know, is a pet. He, she's a pet too, beautiful little brindle mixture. <laughs> and Jake, um, is, he, he'll say he, um, he saved his life, really, certainly with mental... I think it lifts people's spirits. And I think that as well as the dog, dogs doing their specific jobs, it's that um, unconditional love, the bond, the constant companionship. And also for these people... They have something to look after too. They have a responsibility for the dog, which is very good for our mental well-being to have yes, something to look after. Yes, somebody who um, is confined to home by whatever means, yes. you know, whatever means it takes them out. And also, you know, you point out in a lot of these stories that when they're out with their dogs, there's so much interaction goes on with people passing by. It's just, they're a social conduit, you mm-hmm. know, and while you mustn't rush up and pat a dog without asking, a lot of people say um, 
um, or George, the, the 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 blind man in Wellington, he he was famous last year for not being allowed on a bus with his poodle. I don't know, it got quite good national news, but he's a delightful Scotsman, and he said when he's sitting in the park, um, you know, you, it's not that people aren't nice, but they don't quite not to say. And the, but the dog is the conduit. They say, oh, I love your dog. Can I pat it? And he says, oh, he's the most. He's met such wonderful people. Yes, through through the yes. dog. Exactly, yeah. and I love the dogs in um, library, as you say. Oh yes, reading I to think dogs, ho- hospitals, um, retirement homes, yes. um, schools, schools, libraries. They should all have a resident dog and cat. Yeah, <laughs> I love that little girl in the library. When I said, "Why do you like reading to the dog?" He said, "Well, thought for a while." She said, "Well, it doesn't notice when I make mistakes." <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that child's gone from barely reading to the top reading group in the class. Just as confidence. Yes, mm. these stories are so um, enlightening and they're so heartening. Mm. And I'm sure the people who've shared their stories with you, Sue, uh, that's a whole nother thing for them to to have their, you know, the bond the acknowledged told, and the I stories think so. told. Oh, I, they were so inspiring for me. Very humbling. I found it very humbling. This that they're so. I say they're stories of courage and love stories, and these there are so many good people out there. Yes, we need to read all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, in times of pandemic, who who else do you want with your dog beside you? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, looking after your welfare. So I think it's an extraordinary book and I hope that it gets in, into lots of places. Mm. And I'd um, love to see it in school, like high school libraries. It's yes. very readable. No, none of the chapters are more than a thousand words long, lots of photos. So it's designed yes. to be read and to be inspiring. Not, yes. Yeah. Well, I think you've done that, um, done that in spades. So thank you. Sue's book is called Friends Indeed, Assist Dogs and Their People. It's by Sue Ellison and it's published by New Holland. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Tina Croft was born in Sweden and with her family lives outside Napier where she divides her time between writing crime novels, translating and editing medical research papers and looking after an acre of fruit trees, vegetable gardens and hens. Tina's favourite saying is all it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Welcome to the programme, Tina. Thank you, Ruth. Well, I go back with you till 10 years ago to the uh, first Nao Marsh finals, which you were in, and that was the most exciting time, wasn't it? Yes, I think I, I, I don't think I was actually in the finals, but I was listed somehow, yeah. Well, you were definitely in the long list, yes. um, if not yes, the short list, yes. But that was amazing because since then we've got uh, so many crime writers developing in New Zealand, developing their skills. And um, some of your listeners, some of our listeners, will have enjoyed your series with Hunter Grant and uh, Da. And Hunter Grant's been reviewed by people, uh, books, the trio that you wrote, um, claiming that he's our own Jack Reacher and... uh, (laughs) Always, um, <laughs> you've always been there. You haven't. Um, I don't know how you balance your time so well. Now, this new novel, The Shadow Boxer, Shadow Broker, yeah. Shadow Broker. Sorry, he's like a boxer, um, yeah. but we don't know him. I think this is um, a very different kind of novel for me. Um, it's much more technical. It's set in 2026. Um, it shows me that. 
privacy has kind of gone out the window in our lives. And uh, where did it come from? Because it's quite um, different. Yes, it's... I. I've been sort of watching in the background, in the back of my mind, I've been thinking about all these things that happen these days. You know, there are cameras everywhere. There are various forms of surveillance, whether government or not. And there's a lot of hacking and and, and sort of disinformation. And I, I felt I wanted to create a near future, which is dystopian, but without going too far, keeping it credible, sort of like extrapolating the current scene in a dark direction and involving political corruption as as what sits behind this total control of what, what privacy is left, which isn't much. And you've done that very successfully because I'm not a technical person at all. And even um, I could vaguely understand some of the, your Rumble's uh, skills and his uh, ability to hack. And um, you have a trio of um, characters. They uh, Minnie finds a phone or a phone's found by her friend who thinks it's her phone. And she's a research chemist and now a teacher because she's come back home to care for her father who has dementia. And that's kind of a subplot that takes away from the criminal act um, and you you deal with that in quite detailed story of their um, relationship and friendship and how important her father is to her. Yes, I wanted I wanted it to be um, a sort of a multi-layered story. You know, I didn't just want it to be about crime and and technical surveillance aspects and <clears throat> political corruption. I wanted to have backgrounds to these three quite different friends who are thrown together in this quest for the truth. I wanted to give them real lives and real concerns and real worries. I find when I write crime, uh, read crime fiction myself that this sort of relentless focus on their involvement in crime makes them less credible to me as real characters. I think you're right. Um, I certainly found the balance um, important in this story because it does. it is a page-turner. Let's talk about the two other characters or mention them. Rumble, he's a hacker and... Um, He's been a good friend from hers with hers with Minnie since school days, and he's the one she turns to. And what do we do with this? And uh, do we take it to the police? What do we do? And he's the one who is very keen to explore it more because that's part of his work. And he's a hacker for he's a good hacker, can I say? Yes. And um, what do you call him? A white um, a white hat hacker. A white hacker. I hadn't heard that yes. term before. And then the third person who comes into the trio is Luke Chan, the Chinese um, past parliamentary journalist and now a TV producer. And they they have different skills and they contribute so much and support one another and don't really know what they're letting themselves into or perhaps Rumble does a bit more than the others, but they keep at it. I think I think the, um, the whole sort of the major point of this relationship between these three people is that, yes, they do have different skills 
but they have all been involved in one way or another with something that has impacted their lives. And they are shocked, horrified, when they find from this phone that many um, gets hold of and gets into that there is what seems to be outright huge global business combined with government ministers in New Zealand being corrupted and taking bribes. And and the relationship between the three people is very important, really, because they, at various times, doubt each other's judgment because there is no way to verify what they come up with as theoretical explanations or theories about where they should go from here. All they know is that whatever happens, stirring up the hornet's nest or political corruption is putting their lives in danger. And more and more so as we get to the end of the book. And your ending again is different. Um, We really um, partly things have been resolved and then um, you do an extra few chapters to me that connected what happens to them afterwards. In a vague way, yes. yes. No, no promises. No, no <laughs> there, promises. There is, there, is, there, is no, there is no happy ending as no, such. No, There is the possibility of a good ending, but that is not something that anyone can foretell at that stage. Did you plan... Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, no, you go on. I was just going to say, did you plan that right from the beginning or did the, that come while you were writing? It came while I was writing because as this dystopian and rather limiting and dangerous future develops and people's, people's privacy and, and their actions are being um, explored and, and hacked and, and kind of listed and recorded by government, as that develops in the book and I can see how it would impact on your life, I can all, could also see that having a happy ending was not right because there is no outright resolution. And the title of the book, The Shadow Broker, we don't really meet him at all, do we? No, he, he is a shadow because he sits in the background and orchestrates. He's the middleman between global business interests and, and government ministers. He is the one who cleans up the money, facilitates the deals. He, he's the spider in the centre of the web, but we never meet him, no. And I liked that too. I didn't want to meet him, <laughs> so I no. was quite glad <laughs> I didn't have to. But uh, I didn't have to confront him at all or um, feel any compassion, which I wouldn't have been able to do. So I, the shadow um, broker was a really good title for the book. Because and of course, he remains a shadow. Yes. He remains a shadow to the end of the book. That's right, and and you don't really know that. Well, you don't know whether. Well, you do sort of, uh, I suppose, as you go. But there's other people involved. He has, um, yeah. uh, he has people who do the work for him, doesn't he? Who are pre- yes. perhaps more important than him at most of the stages of the book. So I found this so credible because I think it's in the near future, set in the near future. That was a really good thing to do. I learnt so much about um, from Rumble <laughs> about technical <laughs> things that I wouldn't be able to ever do. Um, so and and the characters of those three 
just um, shone in different ways at different times, didn't they? Oh, thank you. Oh, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you like the characters because one of the things I really spend a lot of time thinking about as I write a book is how to give characters um, their real in-depth personalities, their personal quirks, their backgrounds, their fears, um, and how they relate to others because I want my characters to be very three-dimensional. <laughs> And they certainly are. And I found that with your previous books too, um, you always go, I don't know, it's just an extra something that you bring into your characters. Oh, thank you. Yes, yes very I, important. I do, yes, I, it's important to me when I write. And I don't want people to be kind of stereotypical, this or that or the other. I want them to have their own sort of um, backstory. Well, congratulations uh, on this book, Tina. I'm sure you will be in the finals for the Nomash. I'll be very disappointed if you're not, because I think this goes, and I don't know, it goes an extra dimension to it for me. Oh, and thank um, you. Um, I think everybody who's interested in what's going on in today in the world and in New Zealand um, will feel a real credibility about what's happening now in many places and how it's almost begun. We're not quite post-pandemic, yes. but um, that's um, the future, the near future, and it feels to me it could be very similar to your book. So The Shadow oh. Broker by Tina Clough is published by Nightpool Light, Publishing. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.